Christ Journey family, oh my goodness. I, I am so eager for us to be back together. I miss you, I love you, I want you, I want all of us to be together, but until it happens, thank God for the team, for the technology, for the opportunity for us to do this together. So wherever you are making your connection with us today, we are inviting God's blessing upon you across the nation, around the world, and right there in your own personal living room, wherever you're joining us, may you sense the blessing of God today. Until we can get back together, which we are praying for and we are working toward, so let's continue to invite his blessing and his patience to meet us right where we are today. Now, God has given me, I hope you can already feel it, I'm excited about today's message. I believe it's full of encouragement of how your life can be crammed full with God's life. And in order to get started, I simply want to say this. Come on in. The water's fine. You ever heard that? Come on in. The water's fine. And today, I'm saying it about spiritual adulting. Come on in. The water's fine. Now, the reason I need to say that is that I know our culture idolizes youth. And I know that there's something in every one of us, it's in me, that says, I don't wanna grow up, come on. And I know, yes, adulting is chaotic, it's complicated, it's full of challenge and conflict and ambiguity sometimes, but I wanna say to you right now, no matter what your perception or what your hesitation might be about adulting, come on in. The water's fine. Adulting is one of those things that you learn by doing. You know, it's like learning how to swim. You don't learn how to swim by reading a book, by attending a webinar, by checking out a YouTube video. No, you gotta get in the water. That's how it happens and the same is true for adulting and for spiritual adulting in all of its levels. You see on our chart, there are at least four levels of spiritual adulting. God's design isn't that when you reach adult spiritually, then you stop growing. No, there's more growing to be done. And he intends that we keep growing as spiritual adults, which by the way, you see our, our signage here, spiritual adulting. And then we got spiritual parenting. We talked about that. And then today we're looking at spiritual grandparenting. Next week, we'll get to the next one as well. But today we're talking about becoming spiritual grandparents. Now through the years, I didn't give much thought to uh, being a biological grandparent. You know, what comes to mind when you hear the word grandparent? Well, other words come to mind for me. Uh, like doting, aging, wrinkling, you know? I don't know what comes to mind for you. Maybe for you it's like, oh yeah, grandparents, they give me two desserts. Or they always have a something for me. Oh, this is for you, right? So when you think of grandparents, that's called doting, by the way. Or uh, sometimes that grandparent smell, anybody know what I'm talking about? Um, or words like aging and drifting, as if we're just going to 
fade into the sunset while the rest of the world rushes by, you know, not exactly inviting some of those words. And I, I'm telling you what I'm talking about today in spiritual grandparenting isn't about losing touch with, wor with the world, with life. It's about engaging and impacting, generating life and leadership in others. It's what Apostle John calls the Father's level of spiritual growth in 1 John chapter 2, verse 13. The elders stage, becoming a sage in life. Now, I told you I didn't know what to expect with grandparenting. I had a lot of thoughts like this. Hey, I'm not old enough to have grandkids. You know, that's something that old people do. I got more living to do. I'm not done yet, you know? I got mountains to move and dragons to slay and, you know, those kind of thoughts are churning up in me. I don't need anybody calling me grandpa yet. And then, oh my goodness, when it happened biologically for me, I was just smitten. I mean, suddenly I'm in love and I didn't see it coming. Oh my goodness, look, there they are. West, our oldest, Cedar, our little tank. Oh my, and I, my heart just goes pitter patter. They're actually staying with us right now at Lolly and Pop's house. Is that the cheesiest thing? You, I'm Pop's, Lisa's Lolly. For a while, you know, Wes couldn't pronounce the L, so she was Wally. We were Wally Pops for a while. Anyway, we, I just got blindsided by this whole new kind of joy. Something happened. I can't explain it. But I'm telling you, if you ever get a chance to try it, go for it. You know, come on in. The water is fine. It's a grand idea. But it's not just a biological idea. It's also a spiritual concept. And um, Lisa and I are thrilled to have our grandsons with us right now, not only so that we could live life or see life through their eyes and be a toddler all over or be a child all over again. No, and it's not so I can somehow hijack their life and then live mine over vicariously through them. You know, I've seen that happen. That's not a good thing. This is not what parenthood or grandparenthood is about. What, it, what it's about for me is that envisioning and enriching their own uniqueness for an even greater impact and influence in the world to come, in a world that I will not be a part of except through my investment in them. You know what I'm talking about? This is what Isaac Newton said. If I have seen further, it's by standing on the shoulders of giants. Spiritual grandparenting is lending your shoulders to those who are yet to rise. It means living a life of increased impact and of increased influence by investing in those who can see further than we will because of where we are. It's what Paul tells Timothy to do. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. The things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will then be qualified to teach others. There are at least four generations, did you hear them, in that simple little verse of cascading influence. What he's doing, he's advocating the practices of mentoring and modeling that will multiply ministry forward. That's what I'm talking about in spiritual grandparenthood. And we also see it in the early church with the apostles. Acts chapter two, verse 47. The Lord added 
to their number daily, those who were being saved. You'll see that same word used again in chapter 5. More believed in the Lord and were added to their number, chapter 5, verse 14. But then the language changes in chapter 6, verse 17. Listen to this, verse 7, excuse me. The number of disciples multiplied. Why? What changed? Well, in Acts chapter 6, non-apostles who were also maturing believers had just been prayed over to become ministry mentors for others. The apostles took the grandparent role and then they empowered the next generation and ultimately that practice of evangelize, disciple, mentor, and multiply. Evangelize, disciple, mentor, and multiply. That hit the exponential tipping point in the Roman Empire so that it changed the culture. Who could have imagined that the Roman Empire, so saturated with false gods, polytheism practiced everywhere, sensualism practiced everywhere, five million slaves, driving their system of this oppressive domination of women and of children and this bulldozer military spirit to conquer nations and anybody that gets in their way. Who would have imagined that the Roman Empire would become Christianized? And yet, from a persecuted sect, which is how Jesus' followers began, to the official religion of the empire by 323 AD. Now part of that explanation, listen to me, part of the explanation had to do with believers who were growing into their God-given potentials. That they're growing from spiritual early stages in childhood into their adolescence and then into spiritual adults who then could become parents sharing salvation, giving life to others, and then grandparents who are mentoring and multiplying their influence through and their impact through lives to the world, to the Roman world. And this is God's design. Growing as a spiritual grandparent is not a matter of age. This is good news for every one of us. It's not a matter of biological age, it's a matter of impact. As life gives life to another generation of life. It's a matter of multiplied influence. As the ones you led to Christ are now leading others to find life in Christ. This is what success is. John Maxwell says this, there is no success without a successor. Spiritual grandparenting is about breeding success in Christ. Beyond yourself and through those whom you help come to know Christ. And then they're cascading the influence on. Evangelism that then happens through discipleship and mentoring that leads to multiplication. That's what spiritual grandparenting is about. Life that gives life. And it's not a matter of age. Now this is sad, but it's true. Some people who are elderly in calendar years are not mature spiritually. Don't let that happen to you. I mean, this is like, don't be that guy. But did you know that Jesus became a spiritual grandparent in his early 30s? Yeah, now stay with me and I'll show you what I mean. 
It happened in the most unlikely place with the most unlikely person that you that anyone could have imagined. A lone woman at a well in Samaria. John chapter 4 is our text. And um, I want you to listen in as I remind you of the story. You can get your Bible turned there. I hope that you'll take time to read it just in detail later. But let me remind you of the story. It's, it's the time Jesus was at Jacob's well in Samaria. And a woman comes for water. It's high noon, middle of the day, hottest part of the day, and she comes to get water by herself. Now, what's up with that? You know, women usually gather water in the cool of the day, early, late, and they usually do it together. They're socializing, chatting it up, but not her. Why? Well, we'll find out in the conversation that Jesus strikes up with her. Jesus is tired. He's thirsty. He, uh, and yet he asks her for a drink, which shocks her on two levels. First, because he's a Jew and she's a Samaritan, different races, and because he's a man and she's a woman. And this just, uh, Jews don't mix with Samaritans and especially respectable men don't drink with women. And Jesus guides the conversation to the point of offering her living water. Now, we talked about that symbolism of salvation in our last message together. But then that led her to admitting some things about her life and opening her soul to him around some moral breakdowns that had happened in her home life. She has no husband. In fact, she's had five and is now living with a man unmarried. And uh, so she tries to change the subject. It gets uncomfortable. She tries to change the subject into an argument about religious differences between the Jews and the Samaritans about uh, how and where and when you're supposed to worship. But Jesus, he keeps the conversation on track until he, he introduces himself to her as Messiah. That's verse 26. Personally introduces himself to her as the Messiah that she's been looking for and expecting. Now, I hope you'll read the story in detail for yourself. And as you do, notice what Jesus does in the conversation. Because what we've just seen and what I've described is see how Jesus deals with barriers to belief. Every one of us, when we're trying to engage a conversation, will meet up with certain barriers sometimes. And Jesus does, and he shows us, he models for us how to deal with barriers to belief. He wants her to come to know salvation through him as Messiah. And so he's taking on the spiritual parent role to help her find new birth into spirit life. But to do it, he encounters a, a number of obstacles or walls that would kind of stiff harm him out to her receiving spiritual life. First is the wall of location, a distance between them. She's in Samaria. That's the wrong side of the tracks. Jews usually don't go to Samaria, but here Jesus did. What did we just see? Jesus doesn't tear down the wall. He just identifies it and goes around it. He says, I must go through Samaria. Next wall, personalism. What he needed personally. I mean, he's tired, he's thirsty, he's ready for some R&R, but instead of saying, you know, I really need some me time, he faces it and then just moves around the wall and says, can you give me a drink? 
to which immediately she erects a wall. She counters with the gender barrier. I'm a woman, you're a man. This is the wall of sexism. And I'm telling you, gender bias in their culture was deep, thick, strong. And Jesus acknowledges the wall, but just moves around it. She brings up the wall of racism. I'm a Samaritan, you're a Jew. <laughs> she, she's essentially saying, I'm part of a mixed racial descendant group from people who had cross-pollinated their Jewishness with pagans in the past. As a result, they were disdained by the Jewish population. Jesus doesn't try to deny the wall. He doesn't try to destroy the wall. You know what he does? He just like moves around it, keeps the conversation going so that he can deliver the good news. Next is the wall of moralism. And here we see the reason she's out in the heat of the day by herself. This is where it comes up in the conversation. Multiple men in her life. She can't keep any, but she's been involved with many. Which makes me wonder, you know, was she known as the homewrecker back in the town? Is that why she's out there all by herself? And yet Jesus doesn't let it stop him. He... Uh, he speaks to it, and then he keeps the conversation going. And then he hits the walls of religion. She says, she brings up doctrine, worship style. I mean, and then you could also argue that there is this barrier of politics that she brings up. You Jews say it has to happen in Jerusalem. Well, the Jews held that the political center of the nation was in the temple in Jerusalem. So you know what she's doing? She's hitting the hot button here to say, you know, we Samaritans are on the total opposite side of the aisle from you Jews in so many ways. She's pulling out all the stops, trying to derail this conversation. What does Jesus do? He doesn't take the bait. Instead, he lets the barrier become a bridge to a better conversation. And then he shows himself full of grace and truth. They travel together and just moves around it once again. You know, he, he models some spiritual mentoring here that we can follow to help others find Christ, just like a spiritual parent would do. And now what I want to do to show you how we can learn from the way Jesus did it is call out some ABCs of the way that we can make friends for God. I think these concepts I first picked up from a book from Paul Little about how to give your faith away some years ago, but I put them in an alphabetical device so that I could remember what they are. A, associate with non-Christians. If you wanna grow as a spiritual adult and as a parent into becoming a grandparent, then A is associate with non-Christians. This is verses seven, Verse 4, verse 9, people who make friends for God are not self-righteous snobs who keep their distance. They are warm-hearted human beings who make contact. If you want to catch fish, you go where the fish are, right? That's what Jesus is doing here. Verse 4, Jesus said he had to go through Samaria. So in Samaria, he then supersedes the boundaries of race, sex, social, religious, political distinction in order to have a conversation through which he can share life with this woman. A, associate with non-Christians. 
you can do that too. B, build bridges. Now in asking for a drink, Jesus establishes this common point of interest and at the same time compliments her as someone who can meet a need that he has. This is a tremendous expression of love in light of the fact that any self-respecting Jew at the time would never use the same dish as a Samaritan. But Jesus, in order to make friends for God and to help her find and follow Christ, offers himself as a bridge builder. We can do the same thing. We must be bridge builders and looking for common points of interest. One way to do that is by listening as we talk about life together. A conversation is listening as well as talking. And uh, I was shared, just this last week, one of my friends shared with me, said five H's are a great, great way to start a conversation. To, uh, to share your history or invite them to share their history, their heroes, the highlights of their life, those standout points, the heartaches, now we're getting into more tender space, and then the hope, where do you find hope? And so as you move through the H's, then they share and then you share and you can express why you have hope in life. One of the questions that I ask sometimes when I'm getting to visit with people who have not yet believed is simply to say, do you ever think about spiritual things? And then that allows me to say, well, you know, I didn't ever used to, but then something happened that turned the corner for me. Right now, and by the way, now it seems natural to me to do that. Right now, our campus pastors are involved in gospel conversations training by which we can just say, uh, we introduce ourselves by sharing a little bit of our story, 20 seconds of our story. In fact, it's better just to watch it. Here's Pastor Carlos with 20 seconds. There was a time in my life when I pursued my own satisfaction, everything money can buy. I was really aimless. Then I met Jesus and his forgiveness, and I began to follow him, and now my life is full of purpose and has meaning. Okay, associate with non-Christians, build bridges of uh, contact, and then C, create interest. Verses 10 through 13, Jesus kindles the woman's curiosity first by talking to her in public, like that doesn't happen. And then as a Jew with, with a Samaritan, he's also like got her eyes open wider because these are both politically questionable behaviors and that Jesus is inviting the conversation so she can meet him. I'm thinking just being sincerely interested in another person these days, I mean, for real, without an angle, can uh, arouse curiosity. You know, sometimes arouse suspicion, like what do you want? But no, curiosity in the good way. That's what we're looking for here, to create interest. Paul Little says, you know, you should always, carrying a good sense of humor is essential, and always having a good joke ready can be helpful to like neutralize some of those tense conversations and stimulate interest. But we see Jesus offering a relationship, not forcing a message. So be ready to share how Christ relates to your everyday life and then gives you peace of mind or purpose and meaning or um, uh, help, power to face the challenges that we all have. Here's the D, don't, don't, don't go too far too fast. Don't go too far too fast. Jesus is sensitive as he spoke to her needs 
And so likewise, we need to be sensitive in how much a person is ready for, and then to gently share a way in a way that they're able to respond to. What's the E? Express understanding. Express understanding. Verses 16 through 18. When she admits that she's got this moral problem, this indiscretion that makes her uncomfortable, Jesus doesn't condemn her, but he doesn't condone it either. Instead, he helps her gracefully confront it in light of his grace and truth. And so I think the, 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 the lesson here is that we should expect people to be where they are. We should expect people to have messy lives. We should expect people to be sinners. That it's not our job to tell them how bad they are. Jesus doesn't do that. But to share with them and show them how much God cares and the difference he can make. Express understanding. Everybody's looking for love and most of us looking for it in all the wrong places. So express understanding as to the deep needs of the human heart and then our all too human tendency to try to fill them in ways that are not productive and can even be destructive. We tenderly step into the truth and then F is follow through. Verses 19 through 24, when the woman tries to hide behind walls of religion and social political differences, instead of taking the bait, what does Jesus do? He doesn't chase the issues. Instead, he keeps the conversation moving, keep the main thing, the main thing in a non-threatening way. And so also, we should also be ready for excuses that come our way, for controversial opportunities that might rise, but we can, we can respond in ways that are not defensive and yet can be helpful. And so tactfully, Jesus brings the conversation back to how God is bigger than these differences, bigger than religion, bigger than politics, bigger than our desires. And in fact, God desires to be known personally through Jesus Christ as Messiah. That's what it means, by the way, to worship in spirit and in truth, to know God personally, who is bigger than the messes we find ourselves in. And then G, before we get to G, I want you to hear another one of our pastor's 20-second stories. Here's Pastor Jacob. There was a time in my life where I was lost, I was addicted, and I wanted everything my own way. And then I decided to follow Jesus and trust him and follow all of his ways. And now my life is full of hope, it's full of peace and freedom, and I have a purpose for my life. Do you have a story like that? So, do you have a story like that? <laughs> you will when somebody has given you Christ. That's the G. And we help others find their story with him when, G, you give them Christ. Verses 25 through 26. John Wesley, great Methodist evangelist, said, I go into a town and I give them Christ. That's the whole heart and message of the good news. What we have to share as Christ's followers is not, to a world in need, is not a new set of rules. It's not a philosophy of life or a political platform. It's not about going to church. It's not about being religious. Our goal is to introduce them into a loving relationship with a living Christ and then invite them to get to know him. That's the heart of this, which Jesus does. So thank you, Lord, for modeling and mentoring how 
we can, each one of us, move around the walls and create conversations that can lead to life where we can help people follow you. Now, if you've been tracking with me on this, you might be thinking this, but Bill, that all sounds like being a spiritual parent. You're exactly right. How we help people come to meet Christ is the first step toward becoming a spiritual grandparent. You can't become a spiritual grandparent until you've helped somebody meet Jesus and then they help somebody meet Jesus. So I wanna say, you're right. If you wanna become a spiritual grandparent, first, become a spiritual parent. Help somebody come to know Jesus. Then become a grandparent when they help someone else meet Christ. But didn't you say this was a story about Jesus becoming a spiritual grandparent? Well, yes, I did. And it turns out, look at the rest of the story. The woman leaves her water jar, I guess because she'd had a taste of living water that's now flowing into her like we talked about last week. And it says she goes back into town and she starts telling everyone who would listen about Jesus. And uh, what just happened to her? It's like, you know, there was a time in my life and then I met Jesus and oh man, now, verse 39 says, many Samaritans from that town believed because of the woman's testimony. You know what that means? Jesus just became a spiritual grandparent. All those spiritual grandbabies, his newborn just helped others come to life in Christ. That's how you become a spiritual grandparent too. That's how new generations, even nations, can come to Christ. Empires can come to Christ as each one, this is what we used to say, each one reach one. And as we tell our story and they join God's story, then God's life comes alive and continues to flow full and free. And that's the process of how spiritual parents become spiritual grandparents, and then God's kingdom comes and God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. And then as the story closes, here's what it says. They urged Jesus to stay with them, and I guess he did because many more became believers. That's an entire other generation of new believers. Our newborns just became grandparents. As generations of life keep generating life. And then in verse 42, they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Is he your savior? We're gonna pray in just a moment. If your answer to that question is, no, I don't know if he is, so I wanna help you take your first step toward believing. But I, right now, believer, is he your savior? You said, oh yes, pastor, he is. I know him in my heart. Then I gotta ask you this. As an adult, will you grow to become a spiritual parent? Will you learn how to share your story and engage conversation and learn how to listen and love in a way that can help somebody else hear his voice and come to know him personally? Let us help you. Engage in the gospel conversation training. And then let's watch God make you a spiritual grandparent too. Would you pray with me? 
Lord Jesus, for every brother and sister in Christ who knows that you are calling them to rise up to the next level in their spiritual maturity, to not simply be a spiritual adult or an adolescent, but to move into parenthood and to let your life get through their life so somebody else can come alive in Christ. And then, Father, for those that are stepping up to help their spiritual children share with even more. God, would you bless their mentoring? Would you bless their multiplying? Would you help us as campus pastors be able to equip and empower your people so that your kingdom would be expanded? We thank you, Lord, that though we may be shut in, your gospel is not shut down and that you are reaching people as we reach out through Zoom meetings and phone calls and personal contacts. Bless it, Lord that others can come to know you. And friend, if today you're connecting with us online, but you know Jesus is not your personal savior, but you would love to let him be, then would you pray with me right now? Lord Jesus, come into my life. Forgive my sins. Fill me with your spirit. Thank you that on the cross you died to pay the penalty in full and remove the obstacle and then you rose from the dead, so now your spirit can come alive in me. I receive your grace as a gift. Now, help me as I turn from my way and learn to go your way. In your name I pray, amen.